This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. We've got to kick it off today with a Buck Brief right away. You are entering the Blaze Threat Ops Center. This is a secure space. All outside comms are down. Prepare to receive the Buck Brief. Massive manhunt is still underway for the perpetrator of the terrorist attack in a Berlin Christmas market. Killed 12 people, over 50 wounded, some of them life-threatening injuries. The death toll still could go up. A uh, massive truck laden with tons of steel in its uh, carriage ran over people. Uh, The driver was seen to be targeting even small children. Uh, Complete and utter evil, vile psychopath. Um, the initial person that they had in custody, who was a Pakistani migrant, has been let go. His blood did not match that in the cabin of the vehicle. Uh, so they are now searching for a 23-year-old Tunisian man. Um, they're looking for him. He's only identified as either Ahmed or Anis. Here's where this all of a sudden is—well, not all of a sudden. Here's where this, of course, falls into a very familiar pattern one that we see all too often in these incidents and one that I know you are sick of reading and hearing and watching about, and I feel the same way. But we have to pay attention to the world as it is, not try to turn a blind eye to things and hope that they just go away. He was a Tunisian Arab Muslim immigrant to Germany. Earlier this year, he applied for Asylum. Yes, he was one of these refugees, one of the refugees that the media assured us were just women and children and people looking for a better life, escaping violence and hardship. But he's Tunisian. He's not Syrian. Well, I guess you could argue that really of a majority of Muslim majority countries in the Middle East are pretty terrible places to live. Even the ones that are relatively wealthy and stable, still not free, still oppressive, still totalitarian. There are a couple of exceptions, but very few. Um, But this individual claimed refugee status. And as I said to you yesterday, there is something particularly evil, odious, vile, disgraceful, dishonorable, horrific about begging someone for help, uh, appealing to their most basic humanity, and then using that against them and trying to kill as many of their fellow countrymen as possible. This is going to have huge ramifications, by the way, for, of course, the German uh, elections coming up. Merkel is running for a fourth term as chancellor. But as we all know, 
what happens in Europe in this regard affects very much, not just because they're an ally, but because we have similar discussions in this country. It affects our security posture. It affects how we approach these issues, or at least how we're able to discuss these, these issues. So the suspect is an Arab Muslim from Tunisia in his early 20s. He was already on the radar of the authorities in Germany. In fact, they had scheduled him for deportation because of his connections to known Islamists. It is believed that he had connections to uh, Muslims. I'm sure some of them are refugees. Some of them are probably uh, born in Germany or have been citizens or permanent residents of Germany for some time who were working to smuggle fighters from the Islamic State into Germany. They are trying to export the ISIS virus into Europe to try to uh, create chaos, violence, and spreading uh, the spreading of terror. So they were hoping, they were hoping that they would be in a position to deport this individual. And then you start to see how uh, this notion of we can just take these things case by case and prevent all attacks, it's always going to fall apart. Because all it takes is one bump, one hesitation, and an attack is possible. Uh, in this case, the individual, will call him uh, Honest, just because that's what they're identifying him as, uh, was supposed to be deported, but they couldn't deport him, despite the fact that he was classified by German authorities as a potentially violent Salafist Muslim and suspected of ties to the Islamic State, if you are a refugee and there is any suspicion, and this should be true for any country anywhere in the world, any suspicion whatsoever that, one, you are a security threat at any level, and two, you're not really grateful and thankful and full of love for this country that has taken you in and is sheltering you and giving you safe harbor, out. You know, next bus, next plane, next boat, I don't care. Out, gone, done. This is just rational thought being applied to immigration policy. This isn't complex. This is, And again, this is part of what has happened in this country over the last 12 months as we talk about our own immigration policy. You've started to see Democrats who object to the deportation of people who are in the country illegally and commit crimes in addition to that illegality so you come here you're not supposed to be here and then you break the law and democrats still don't want those people deported because that's breaking up families well this honest monster broke up a whole bunch of families with that truck in that christmas market families that will never recover families that will never get their loved ones back people in that hospital perhaps some of those who will survive, they will be plagued by PTSD for years, perhaps the rest of their lives. Some of them will have crippling injuries. Some of them may be paralyzed because of this refugee. Now, people look at these situations and they would like to crunch the numbers one way or the other. They'll say, well, out of a million, look at how many attacks we've had. First of all, it's not just the attacks. It's the attempted attacks. It's the attempts at this kind of mass murder and chaos. And there have been numerous plots, mostly tied to refugees, predominantly dealing with Muslims in Germany. Uh, there was a 12-year-old boy who was arrested recently because he wanted to blow up a Christmas market. That was just a few weeks ago. You didn't see much reporting on that in the news, did you? What a surprise. 
that there are all of these known Islamists and jihadists currently operating in Germany, you'd think, well, why don't they kick them out right away? Oh, I'm sure there are all kinds of human rights lawyers and, you know, Human Rights Watch or Amnesty International or some of these groups that are that are oftentimes doing the work of the enemy by providing them with cover stories under the guise of humanitarian rights and giving them a sort of legal top cover for them to continue their activities, all because they're such uh, good people, these international NGOs or German NGOs. I'm sure there's some of them, too. Just like in this country, there are all these different groups that will give free legal aid and advice to illegal immigrants to try to help them stay in the country and work the system. Speaking of the system, and I mentioned this before and I got off topic for a second, why was this known Islamist with suspected ties to the Islamic State not deported, which you would think you can draw a straight line to, would have saved the lives of at least 12 Germans, would have prevented over 50 more from horrific and grievous injury, and stopped the country from being thrown just a few days before Christmas into a state of fear and security paralysis. He didn't have a passport. You might say to me, Buck, hold on a second. Of course, he doesn't have a passport. He's a refugee. So he shows up, says, I don't have any papers, says, I'm really scared, says my home country is a nasty, horrible place, as so many Muslim-majority countries are. I guess we're never allowed to note the similarity, but there is a similarity. And I don't have any papers. Please, please take me in, take me in. First thing he seems to do is connect in northwestern Germany with some Islamists, some hardliners, Not that hard for them to track them down, apparently. The German authorities are already aware of them. And then they realize this, and they go, okay, well, we got to get this guy out. Oh, wait, we can't, because under German law, you have to have a passport. We can't can't throw a stateless person out of our state. Now a lot of people are dead. They classified him, as I said, as potentially violent, and now we know he, well, allegedly, it hasn't been proven in court yet, and we're assuming this time around the Germans have the right person. Perhaps we shouldn't make that assumption. Um, but they did find his residency permit in the cab of the truck used in the attack. So we've gone from somebody who seemed to have really planned this out and wore a mask. And it seemed like he'd worked at all the details to basically left his ID in the car that he in the truck that he used to mow down all these people. You don't need a criminal mastermind. You don't even need any training of any kind. And this is why the truck as weapon is more terrifying than a mass shooting, is more terrifying even than a bomb. Uh, because you can, try to, uh, you can try to stop those things. Those things also require a certain level of skill. Building a bomb, I know this because Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, a case that my unit in the MIPD worked back in 2010, Uh, he messed up the bomb. Otherwise, he would have killed probably hundreds of people in Times Square. Uh, There have been other instances as well where faulty bomb making or purchase of the precursor materials for bombs, that's what tripped up the terrorists before they were able to engage in their uh, deadly actions. And with firearms, there's always the possibility of, as we saw on that train, for example, which was I headed to Paris. I think it was in Belgium when they overcame when a few Americans on vacation, America, 
when a few Americans on vacation tackled him, took him down, and prevented him from turning that entire high-speed train into a shooting gallery. I mean, who knows how many dozens would have been murdered on that train. Again, we, we just... With the attacks that don't come to fruition or that don't have high body counts, we kind of forget. And then we have idiots from places like Vox.com and the Huffington Post and Slate and Salon and all these left-wing sites that would fall into Yuri Bezmanov's general description of people who no longer have the wish to defend their own culture, their own society, their own civilization. They'll run up, the, they'll, they'll run the numbers and they'll say, oh, well, look at how few have been killed. And we always want to say, first of all, Look at how much effort we have to expend to prevent many more from being killed. And look at how many times we've been lucky and how many would have been killed if we didn't always have to sit around and wonder who's the next one to yell Allahu Akbar and kill a bunch of people in a public place because of something to do with Islam. We sit and we wonder. When's the next one going to happen? I tweeted out the day of this, not to be uh, not to be snarky about an incredibly sad and tragic and terrible situation. I said, you know, so I guess we shouldn't all jump to conclusions about the likelihood that this is a, you know, a Muslim, uh, a, a radicalized Muslim. I meant to write refugee. I should have written refugee is what I was thinking, but I was just tweeting it out. I thought it was fascinating. Two people said, oh. It's so racist to jump to that conclusion. Is it racist or is it just rational? First of all, Islam is not a race, so it's not racist. Let's start there. Second of all, uh, how how many of these attacks have to happen that are the same before we can just say, okay, we we know what this is, right? We can stop pretending that this might be different. If it's different, we'll say it's different. But let's not just take the posture from the start of, well, this this one is different. Really, why? If it's different, I want to know why. Of course, they won't have an answer. It's exactly as we thought it would be. Hopefully they get this individual, they capture him before he can do more damage, before he can kill more innocent people right before Christmas holiday. Now, this is going to continue. There are more Islamists in Germany. There are more Islamists in Europe. And yes, there are some here in this country as well. I don't think we have a particularly comprehensive policy to deal with this. I will be honest with you. And I also think that we have some real uh, critical thinking to do. We, we have some inward looking to do as a society, as a country, for are we going to take this as the very real threat to our way of life that it is and speak openly and honestly about where this comes from and where the perpetrators tend to find their ideological moorings? Or are we going to say that, well, we can't be racist, we can't be xenophobes, we can't be Islamophobic, so we can't really talk about this? It's a, it's a police matter. It'll just go away. No, it won't. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team sponsor this half hour, Super Beats. 
Buck Sexton here, as you know. You know, I've got a passion for living a healthy lifestyle. I've got to stay away from that gluten, which includes clean eating. Super Beets is one of the most impressive functional foods I have ever seen. Why? Blood, fo- blood flow, blood flow, blood flow. Beets are loaded with dietary nitrates, which converts nitric oxide in the body. Nitric oxide helps support healthy circulation and healthy blood pressure levels. Super Beets is the most convenient way to get these dietary nitrates to specifically help support healthy blood flow and circulation, and they work three times faster to give you results you can feel. Plus, they taste great. I take Super Beets every day. I can feel the energy and stamina it gives me with twenty minutes and within 20 minutes, and I want you to feel it too. So please call 800-311-4367 or go to teambuckbeats.com. Get a 30-day supply free. It comes with your first order and is backed by a money-back guarantee. Also receive a free book, Beat the Odds, and free shipping on your entire order. You're going to love the results you feel with your first free canister, guaranteed, or your money back. 800-311-4367 or teambuckbeats.com. 800-311-4367, teambuckbeats.com. Check it out. Interesting that people are already pointing out how the Trump response to these uh, national security events is very different from the uh, from the way that this administration handles these things. And it's fascinating to me that on, on the one hand, we're always told that tone matters, that Donald Trump's tone was a huge problem for a whole bunch of different reasons during the campaign, and that words matter in the, and the and Powerful government figures need to choose their words very carefully. And then when we say, well, okay, why does Obama always speak about the Islamic State in this sort of, you know, really almost disinterested, very sterile, um, almost laid back fashion? I mean, it's like he's like he's talking to us about, you know, an agricultural report or something from the Midwest. He just never really shows any fire about this and is always very careful. Uh, and this changed with Hillary Clinton, by the way, in, in the general, because she realized the American people don't want this like, well, we, you know, it's not about Islam and it has nothing to do with Islam. And they, they don't want to they don't want to get lectured on that. They don't want to hear about Islamophobia. Um, they just want this stuff to stop and they want someone to stop it. So Hillary would say radical Islamic. You notice this during the campaign. She would say radical Islamic terrorism. Uh, she said it a few times because Trump was goading her into it, I think, by saying, look at her. She, she tells you that she's going to face these enemies, but she won't even she's afraid of offending the enemy, perhaps, or offending those who feel like they are too close to the enemy or that their ideology is in some way shared, even if hijacked by the enemy. Uh, but the way that Trump is going to respond to all of these things, the assassination in uh, Ankara of the Russian ambassador the guy stands up, he yells, Allahu Akbar, you know, he, he says this is for Aleppo, um, but he's screaming, you know, that this is, that God is great. One would think that if you're willing to shoot somebody and, you, and you're yelling about God, that there's a religious tie-in, at least in your mind, to your terror. And so thinking that he is an Islamist terrorist, that's not quite a leap. But the way it was reported, it was, well, you know, Trump is jumping to conclusions about this. No, I actually think America is ready for when somebody commits an act of, of murder, that's going to be an international news story, or any act of murder for that matter, but when someone kills another human being and screams God is great in Arabic when they do it, I think labeling that person a jihadist or an Islamist is 
is a pretty straightforward application of brain power. I really don't think we need to overcomplicate this. And this is where Trump gets it, and this is where a lot of the Democrats don't. And um, there's a whole bunch of reasons, including I think a lot of it is a sort of pseudo-sophistication of the left. They think that by dancing around this stuff, they're being more nuanced, uh, showing greater understanding, and of course, avoiding Islamophobia and xenophobia, which are big words that scare the left. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. So, Team Buck, we are a few days away from Christmas, and uh, we have many servicemen and women overseas uh, in posts all over the world, including uh, an estimated 5,000 or so in Iraq and around 11,000 in Afghanistan, and then, of course, uh, many thousands more at large bases, Germany, Okinawa, South Korea, um, and then, of course, those who are in places that I don't know about and we wouldn't talk about if we did know. Uh, But they will not be, uh, many of them will not be spending Christmas with their families. I was thinking about that this morning, and I was also uh, thinking about this horrific truck, uh, truck massacre that happened in Berlin, and it kind of reminded me that there are people who stand on the wall to stop that truck. Um, and there was a speech that was given, and I thought we should spend some spend a few moments here to think about as the Christmas holiday approaches those who are who are actually standing on that wall in places all over the world and what they do and what they're willing to do. This is a speech uh, from General Kelly, who is going to be the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, head under the Trump administration, assuming he gets through confirmation, which I think he will. And it's a story that he tells about a couple of Marines who had just met and were on guard duty, and they were faced with a truck intent on mass murder, and it failed. And it failed because of these two young Marines who had never met each other before. And General Kelly, uh, Marine Lieutenant General John Kelly, told this, this is from a speech back in 2010, and I wanted to read to you an excerpt of it. This reminds me, you know, as jihadists are trying to mow us, all of us, all decent human beings all over the world, mow us down with trucks, and sometimes those trucks are full of explosives. Uh, We thank God we've got people like the U.S. Marines, Army, Navy, Air Force, all of our armed forces, and the armed forces of allied countries to stand in the way of the truck. Here's what Kelly had to say about this in his speech. 
Two years ago, when I was the commander of all U.S. and Iraqi forces, this is back in 2010, in fact, the 22nd of April, 2008, two Marine infantry battalions, uh, 1-9, the Walking Dead, and the 2-8, were switching out in Ramadi. Uh, one battalion in the closing days of their deployment going home very soon, the other just starting its seven-month combat tour. Two Marines, Corporal Jonathan Yale and Lance Corporal Jordan Harter, 22 and 20 years old, respectively, one from each battalion, were assuming the watch together at the entrance gate of an outpost that contained a makeshift barracks housing 50 Marines. The same broken-down, ramshackle building was also home to 100 Iraqi police, also my men and our allies in the fight against the terrorists in Ramadi, a city until recently the most dangerous city on earth and owned by al-Qaeda. Yale was a dirt-poor, mixed-race kid from Virginia with a wife and daughter and a, and a mother and sister who lived with him and he supported as well. He did this on a yearly salary of less than $23,000. Harder, on the other hand, was a middle-class white kid from Long Island. They were from two completely different worlds. Had they not joined the Marines, they would never have met each other or understood that multiple Americas exist simultaneously, depending on one's race, education level, economic status, and where you might have been born. But they were Marines, combat Marines, forged in the same crucible of Marine training, and because of this bond, they were brothers as close or closer than if they had been born of the same woman. The mission orders they received from the sergeant squad leader, I am sure, went something like, Okay, you two clowns, stand this post and let no unauthorized personnel or vehicles pass. You clear? I'm also sure Yale and Harder then rolled their eyes and said in unison something like, Yes, sergeant, with just enough attitude that made the point without saying the words, No kidding, sweetheart, we know what we're doing. They then relieved two other Marines on watch and took up their post at the entry control point of Joint Security Station Nasser in the Sophia section of Ramadi in Al-Anbar province, Iraq. A few minutes later, a large blue truck turned down the alleyway, perhaps 60 to 70 yards in length, and sped its way through the serpentine of concrete jersey walls. The truck stopped just short of where the two were posted and detonated, killing them both catastrophically. 24 brick masonry houses were damaged or destroyed. A mosque 100 yards away collapsed. The truck's engine came to rest 200 yards away, knocking most of a house down before it stopped. Our explosives experts reckon the blast was made of 2,000 pounds of explosives. Two died, and because these two young infantrymen didn't have it in their DNA to run from danger, they saved 150 of their Iraqi and American brothers-in-arms. When I read the situation report about the incident a few hours after it happened, I called the regimental commander for details as something about this struck me as different. Marines dying or being seriously wounded is commonplace in combat. We expect Marines, regardless of rank or anything else, to stand their ground and do their duty and even die in the process if that's what the mission takes. But this just seemed different. The regimental commander had just returned from the site and he agreed but reported that there were no American witnesses to the event, just Iraqi police. I figured if there was any chance of finding out what actually happened, and then to decorate the two Marines to acknowledge their bravery, I'd have to do it as a combat award that requires two eyewitnesses, and we figured the bureaucrats back, back in Washington would never buy Iraqi statements. 
If it had any chance at all, it had to come under the signature of a general officer. I traveled to Ramadi the next day and spoke individually to a half dozen Iraqi police, all of them whom told the same story. The blue truck turned down the alley and immediately sped up as it made its way through the serpentine. They all said, we knew immediately what was going on as soon as the two Marines began firing. The Iraqi police then related that some of them also fired and then to a man ran for safety just prior to the explosion. All of them survived. Many were injured, some seriously. One of the Iraqis elaborating with tears welling up said, they'd run like any normal man would to save his life. What he didn't know until then, he said, and what he learned that very instant was that Marines are not normal. Choking past the emotion, he said, Sir, in the name of God, no sane man would have stood there and done what they did. No sane man. They saved us all. What we didn't know at the time and only learned a couple of days later after I wrote a summary and submitted both Yale and Harder for uh, posthumous Navy crosses was that one of our security cameras, damaged initially in the blast, recorded some of the suicide attack. It happened exactly as the Iraqis described it. It took exactly six seconds from when the truck entered the alley until it detonated. You can watch the last six seconds of their young lives. Putting myself in their heads, I suppose it took about a second for the two Marines to separately come to the same conclusion about what was going on once the truck came into their view at the far end of the alley. Exactly no time to talk it over or call the sergeant to ask what they should do. Only enough time to take half an instant and think about what the sergeant told them to do a few minutes before. Let no unauthorized personnel or vehicles pass. The two Marines had about five seconds left to live. It took maybe another two seconds for them to present their weapons, take aim, and open up. By this time, the truck was halfway through the barriers and gaining speed the whole time. Here, the recording shows a number of Iraqi police, some of whom had fired their AKs, now scattering like the normal and rational men they were, some running right past the Marines. Marines had three seconds left to live. For about two seconds more, the recording shows the Marines firing nonstop, the truck's windshield exploding into shards of glass as the rounds take it apart and tore into the body of the SOB who's trying to get past them to kill their brothers, American and Iraqi, bedded down in the barracks, totally unaware of the fact that their lives at that moment depended entirely on two Marines standing their ground. If they had been aware... They would, have know, they, they would know they were safe because two Marines stood between them and a crazed suicide bomber. The recording shows the truck careening to a stop immediately in front of the two Marines. And all the instantaneous violence, Yale and Harder never hesitated. By all reports and by the recording, they never stepped back. They never even started to step aside. They never even shifted their weight. With their feet spread shoulder width apart, they leaned into the danger firing as fast as they could work their weapons. They only had one second left to live. The truck explodes. The camera goes blank. Two young men go to their God. Six seconds. Not enough time to think about their families, their country, their flag, or about their lives or their deaths. But more than enough time for two very brave young men to do their duty into eternity. That is the kind of people who are on the watch all over the world tonight for you.
Merry Christmas to all of them. We'll be back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Show. Team will post that full speech from uh, Marine General Kelly on uh, on Facebook, so you can read it yourself and see more of the backstory of it. Um, but I, I did think we should take some time to remember uh, remember those who stand between us and the truck that, in the hands of jihadists, would either blow us up or run us over, and destroy us. Some stand in front of the truck. We should remember them. Many of them do. Um, so as I said, Merry Christmas to them. All right. I, I wanted to switch gears here uh, a little bit just cause otherwise I'm going to get uh, too down to finish out the show. Um, not even down, just a little, a little choked up. All right. Uh, this is going to unchoke up me cause he's the worst, the worst person ever. The irony is that he was the one who popularized worst person in the world or whatever it is as a list. That guy, Keith Olbermann, that was so terrible that even current TV paying him $10 million a year, uh, was trying to get rid of him. And I think he ended up suing them. Uh, I'm sure he, uh, I, I believe that's what happened. And they don't even want him. They, I, I have heard from people at MSNBC that they don't even want him back in the building, that that was a problem. He wanted to come back. I, once somebody's made a lot of money and become, you know, be, doing this sort of thing, spewing the kind of bull that Keith Olbermann does and just being a really nasty human being. There are some people that in this business that on the left I hear uh, are good people. They're nice. They're decent. They're fair to their staffs. They're, you know, uh, he doesn't know me, but I, I mean, I obviously am a former Intel guy, and so I'm always cultivating sources everywhere. It's just kind of how I am. Uh, but, you know, Chris Hayes at MSNBC has the reputation of being a nice, good dude. Do I think he's right on anything? Pretty much no. But you see, he's a, can be a, you can be a good person who's wrong about a lot of things. There are a lot of people like that. Many of my friends in New York fall in that category. Uh, but Keith Olbermann is universally, from what I hear, again, not knowing the man personally, uh, despised. Uh, but he's trying to make a comeback, and he's trying to come back as essentially an anti-Trump figure. And he's posting rants like this one. Go. Trump is illiterate every day. It is unprecedented. Resistance means repetition. Humiliate him. Humiliate him every day. And those who support him. We are in this nightmare because at some point we stop punishing stupidity in this country. We will not fix this core problem by appeasing the Cretans. Besides which, they will not be appeased. They are too stupid to quit while they are ahead. To borrow a Bush-era normalization of terror, when you see something stupid, call someone stupid. I don't know if this is going to work because there are so many people who have beaten Olbermann to the... What he's trying to do is to borrow from Spinal Tap, take the dial to 11, and there really is no 11 on Trump. Everybody's already at 10 in the media. I mean, they're already trying to take Trump down. To be the ultimate anti-Trump at this point is a very difficult thing to pull off because you have so much competition. You have entire networks that more or less are dedicated to undermining and, and destroying the Trump presidency. I really do believe that there are there are entire newsrooms uh, full of people. There are very prominent television journalists or, you know, whatever we call them. They're not, I don't know, 
anchor men and anchor women. We just call them anchors, and anchors an inanimate object, isn't it? Side note. It's like calling someone a chair. Now, you're a chairman or a chairwoman, right? You should be an anchor man or an anchor woman because an anchor is a thing that keeps a boat from drifting. Side note. Or it's an annoying person that you're out with and can't get rid of, especially if you're trying to make the moves on a very lovely lady and she has an annoying friend who hasn't had a date in a long time and won't leave the lovely lady alone. That is also an anchor, but of a different kind. Uh, Olbermann, though, trying to be the ultimate anti-Trump. You're going to see a lot of this now. And I just think it's interesting because there's really no there's no room over there. there you, you, you can't go. Uh, this is a guy who made his name by essentially being as virulently and not just anti-Bush, but hateful and, uh, as he says, ridicule. Or what did he say? He said, make fun of them or ridicule them or, you know, take, take Trump down every day. You know, mock him. That's what he says. Mock him every day. To just mock and ridicule the uh, incoming commander-in-chief all the time. The thing is, Keith, this isn't a clever or unique strategy. There are already plenty of people that want to do this. So you are by no means uh, positioning yourself in such a way that you're going to be able to get ahead doing this. I would think. I don't know. May- maybe there's room for the ultimate Trump hater still, but I feel like there's so many Trump haters. Oh, I, I was going to say about the anchor, pe- anchor people. <laughs> Anchor man, anchor woman, whatever we call them. I think that the plan is to get uh, Trump impeached somehow. They're going to seize on something, and they're going to try to get him removed from office from from day one. By the way, this isn't going to be a you know let's see how it, let's see what happens. They're already trying to figure out right now what they can conjure up to create some sort of a groundswell to impeach the next president. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hunt. We've got our friend Adam Crato on the line. He's a senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon. His handle is at K R E D O zero. What's up, Adam? Hey, how are you? I'm good. Happy holidays. You getting some time off soon? Thank you, sir. Um, hopefully, but I'm not optimistic. Uh, I power through every day. Adam, freedom's not going to spread itself, buddy. So whatever happens, it's <laughs> the way it's supposed to be, right? All right. Uh, let's, let's, let's take some of the latest from freebeacon.com. Uh, Congress said the Obama administration fired top scientist, a top scientist to advance climate change plans. Uh, and they, uh, they were sorry to advance climate change and they plan an investigation they claim Obama administration retaliated against scientists. What is going on with the politicized Department of Energy here? Yeah, it, it, it's actually quite an interesting story that came out of nowhere. But apparently the uh, House Committee um, Science Technology had been working on this for a while. It, it, it surrounds actually a bill that most people probably won't even know. Uh, in 2014, Congress tried to uh, regulate a low-dose radiation program that DOE was working on. Essentially, this was a program to find out the effects of low doses of radiation, like when you take an X-ray or or uh, people who uh, work in 
cleaning up nuclear waste, these types of things. So um, Congress had a briefing on it. Apparently what happened is the scientist who led that briefing was fired. Uh, lawmakers later found out it was because the, the scientists did not adhere to the administration's talking point line. The administration didn't want this bill to go forward because it wanted full funding for its own climate change agenda, and this would have removed money from it. So because the scientists did not adhere to the administration's line, uh, apparently there was retaliation. The person was fired, and uh, the investigation also found uh, multiple... Adam, can you speak a little more into the mic? You sounded like you're calling us from a yellow submarine. What's going on? There, Get into the mic. Hey, how do you, you got me now? Yeah, you got there me now? we go. In stereo, that baby. That's what I like. Okay, you were stereo. saying. All right. So essentially what we're seeing here is uh, the administration instructing scientists who's supposed to be impartial, who are supposed to brief Congress um, neutrally and impartially so that Congress can perform oversight work properly. We're seeing them fired, retaliated against so the administration can forward its own agenda. This time it was on climate change, but we've seen it in other respects, too. Tell me about the Iranian commander who killed Americans and is currently in Syria violating international travel bans on him. Yeah, this is um, an interesting one. Uh, Soleimani is his name. He's a top uh, commander for the Iranian military. In fact, he's in charge of all of uh, the uh, IRTC, the Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard Force, missions outside of the country. So that would be what they're doing in Syria, in Iraq, in Yemen, and elsewhere. Um, as part of the nuclear deal, there was a travel ban on this individual. He's broken it several times. He's traveled to Russia. And uh, just in the last week, now he's in Syria scoping out uh, all the work the Iranians have done to help Assad to destroy rebels there. And uh, the Obama administration, quite honestly, has an opportunity to sanction him for this. But uh, I see no evidence that they're going to do that, uh, seemingly because they want to preserve this nuclear agreement and not bother also, this uh, tell me about this is on freebeacon.com. The U.S. accused of training Iranian-tied forces in Iraq. The Obama administration is denying the charges. What's going on here? Yeah, this is this is um, I think a very important story that uh, people aren't paying attention to. It's slightly complicated, but essentially, what's taking place here is that the U.S. military is training Iraqi militias that are operating under the government. The problem is that the majority of these militias are actually controlled or tied to the Iranian government. Again, this guy, Soleimani, is uh, the man who leads them and is their ideological leader. Uh, the, the U.S. has taken great, great pains to bend over backwards to try and vet these individuals so that we are not directly training any Iranians. But I think it really uh, highlights the challenge, one, that we face in Iraq with training militias that have really uh, kind of been homegrown and are all over the country and often tied to the Iranians. And two, I think the, the issue here with this is that even if we're not directly training Iranian forces, we're actually bolstering Iran's claim in the country and uh, helping them expand their regional influence. So that ideologically, I think, is a very bad thing. And now this one not coming from free from freebeacon.com uh, this is a Reuters piece but I know you're you're following this one closely Hezbollah sure. using US weaponry in Syria what is this all about 
Yeah, this I don't find surprising at all. I look if you if you give weapons to militants and different militias, just like what we're seeing in Iraq, um, and they're tied to the Iranians. The Hezbollah a terror group, of course, is under the control of Iran. Necessarily, we will see a certain amount of those weapons uh, transferred to nefarious actors. That's what I think is happening here. Um, the other thing I would point out, as surprising as the headline is, Hezbollah doesn't actually need American weapons. They've got plenty of funding from the Iranians. So even if they might be getting their hands on some in some way, uh, Hezbollah is fully stocked, fully armed by the Iranians, missiles, guns, uh, ammunition, all the like. Adam Credo is a senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon. You can follow him on Twitter at Credo Zero. Uh, Mr. Credo, whether you get some time off or not, have a fantastic uh, holiday. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, sir. Thank you, Buck. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for joining us. Team, we have limited days to uh, hang out here before the holiday. Uh, the phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. You also have a certain 35th birthday that's going to happen next week. Wait, is it next week? Yeah, it's next. Oh, my gosh. That just hit me. It's next week. I mean, 35. I was just a young buck when I started this whole radio media game. I was in my 20s, barely, but I was in my 20s. Now I'm going to be 35. Hmm. Wow. This is sorry. I'm having a, it's like a, I don't even know what you would call it. It's not a midlife crisis. It's not even a crisis. It's just a, hmm, interesting. 35, 35 years sort of young coming up here. Uh, So, 888-900-3393. If you want to talk about news, you want to talk about your holiday plans, anything at all, ideas for the Freedom Hunt in 2017. We basically got today and tomorrow because Friday is a special taped show um, or it's a sort of a year in review show, various Blaze Radio hosts starting at noon. So we got today and tomorrow, team. That's what we got for the spots to talk to each other about stuff. Um, so eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. Also, sponsor this half hour is Silencer Shop. Help make the world a quieter place. I should start doing jingles. It is that time of year. Silencer Shop is the simply uh, is simply the best place. Simply the best Silencer Shop. I could do. I could just start riffing on this. I could have so much fun. A silencer Shop offers the best prices along with the best service. And when it comes to doing the paperwork right for your silencer, you can trust silencershop.com. They submit more of these uh, paperwork uh, situations than anybody else in the country. They know exactly what they're doing, and they're the place to go for the best price, the best selection, and make sure you go through the process quickly, efficiently, and properly. So silencershop.com has uh, all the products there for you to see and check out. They've got testimonials. You can reach out to the staff. They'll make sure you know what's going on and that you can purchase a silencer, which will make shooting so much more fun, makes it quieter. I personally hate excessive noise. Every time somebody honks in an unneeded fashion in New York, I want to throw an egg at their car. Just kidding. I would never do that. That would be unsafe. Silencershop.com. Silencershop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. Go check it out. Team, we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. 
Of course, it's the holiday season, so why not uh, get a lot of attention for whatever your cause may be, even if it's based on uh, falsehood. So this is now, this was trending uh, on, I think yesterday on Twitter, like number two on Twitter trends. Um, It's this individual. Do we have the audio, John? Okay, we do. So this guy named Adam Saleh, who is a Muslim American, claims that he was on a Delta Airlines flight. Uh, this is, when was it? Was it today? No, it was this morning. It's today. I'm sorry. This is. I thought it was yesterday for a second. This is today. So this is just getting attention now. It has been retweeted. This guy has been retweeted. I know a lot of you aren't on Twitter, but it's now, you know, p- people in media are all obsessed with it because it's so sort of quick and snackable, which is the term for, like, I have no attention span, so I want something quick that I can look at. And, you know, we're being, I think, like, lab rats, we're all being trained to just want everything in in 30 to 90-second increments all the time now. And this is, you know, we're going to start having movies where it's like 100 different 30-second increments. Anyway, uh, with completely different content. So Adam Saleh is verified on Twitter. His video that he claims shows him getting kicked off a Delta Airlines flight for saying one word in another language, we can all assume that language is Arabic. Um, this has been retweeted 345,000 times. So you can assume that millions and millions of people on Twitter have seen this. And it's so it's gone viral, which was clearly the point. Um, but let's just I just want to play some of the audio of this for you. And then we'll talk a bit about what probably happened here. Play it. We're getting kicked out because we spoke a different language. Is it, is, this is 2016. 2016. Look, Delta Airlines are kicking us out because we spoke a different language. Because we spoke a different language. Thank you so much. You guys are racist. I cannot believe my eyes. I cannot believe it. I spoke a word, a different language, and you said you feel uncomfortable because I spoke a different language. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe my eyes. Why are you guys doing that? Because we spoke a different language. That's that's so like, that is so upsetting. Are you serious? I'm about to cry right now, seriously. Because we said a word in a different language and there's six white people against us bearded men. Six white people against us bearded men. How did you kick them? I feel uncomfortable. Just look at the way the, the repetition there. I mean, this isn't a real argument that you'd have with somebody, right? You know, because I spoke a word in a different language, because I spoke a word in a different language. First of all, no one's, I, I, you can't see the videos. I'm just trying to fill this in, but you can see this online if you want. There's like no one arguing with him. There's nothing. He's just looking into the camera and yelling about this. And he claims that, you know, he's being thrown off the flight. First of all, one word. What is it? Allah? Because if it wasn't Allah, very unlikely that anybody else on that plane would even know what language, you know, what what was he sitting there? And, you know, he he was like, he was like, yeah, mom, what's up? I want some Dajaj for dinner. And they're like, oh. He said Dajaj, that means chicken in Arabic. Oh, my God, we need to get him off the plane. It's such a stupid concept, right? It's such a, a stupid um, accusation, really. People on a plane heard one word in a, in a foreign language also, by the way. I mean, it's Arabic, right? Adam Saleh, this, can we just say, I said one word in Arabic? But it's, he wants it to be bigger than just about Arab. He wants it to be just anti-foreign, anti... I mean, you can sort of see here uh, how this all comes together. There is another, um, and, and so social media is all you know freaked out about this. You've got uh, Dr. Bassam Youssef from his official Twitter account saying there's no excuse for this behavior, Delta Airlines, kicking people out for speaking a different language, unacceptable. I mean, does anybody really think that Delta Airlines kicks people off of planes for speaking a different language? 
you know, you start to wonder, you have to ask the question here. I think it's fair to ask the question, are these people idiots or are they just hugely delusional liars? I mean, are they actually morons? It, maybe it's possible they've gone this far in life and they're, and they're truly stupid and they're just exposing themselves now. They've been able to hide it. That seems unlikely. It seems much more likely that they just want to sort of ride this wave of self-righteousness and virtue signaling while they can. Uh, because no person could really w- w- think that Delta is going to kick you off for speaking a different language. And then you get the, Bassem Yusuf, by the way, is considered the, quote, John Stewart of Egypt, end quote, which I do not think is a good thing. I would not want to be considered the John Stewart of anything. Um, and then you have all these other tweets from people that are, you know, getting uh, getting attention underneath it. And they're saying, uh, what is this? People are saying, oh, uh, this is another verified account from Dr. Forster. Don't know who she is. Uh, because if so, Delta, I'll be avoiding your company for all my future flights. It always seems that you're kicking people of color, etc., off flights. Uh, people seem to believe all this stuff. Um, and then boycott Delta has become the hashtag that's trending all over the world. Boycott Delta. That's what people say should happen here. Somebody else who tweeted out, hey, Delta, if I spoke Spanish on your plane, would that mean I'm part of the drug cartel? Boycott Delta. That got 16, over 1,600 retweets as of this posting. These people idiots or I, I think we I, it's a fair question to ask, right? They don't really think I know that some of them are just being snarky, but do they believe that this guy was kicked off a plane because he said one word? Remember, that's the it's not that they were they were, you know, chosen for additional screening or that, you know, they took out prayer rugs by the cockpit and, you know, people got uncomfortable. Um, no, it's not that. It's that they said one word in a foreign language, and that caused a commotion, and, and people wanted them off the plane. I, I, I want to know what that word is. They said Allah, and it, they said it once, and people. I mean, it just it's it's crap, right? We all know this. There's no way this is what happened. Delta, of course, now says they're investigating, and you got to be very careful with this. Boycott Delta. Boycott Delta. Um, what they didn't know, what Delta didn't know. Hat tip Alex Griswold at Mediaite for doing some of the research on this. Is that uh, this guy, uh, Saleh, he was a Muslim-American man. Um, he, he says he was kicked off the Delta flight for speaking to his mother in Arabic on the phone. He has a history. Oh, what a surprise. A history of hoax videos purporting to detail anti-Muslim discrimination. I mean, in one of these videos... He's walking down the street dressed as, and this is back in 2014, a video called Racial Profiling Experiment that got 2 million views. Um, so Salah gets in a fight with a friend in, when they're dressed in Western style in front of a police officer and then reenacted it. Again, gets into a fight in front of a police officer in Muslim garb and the police officer only inter- intervened uh, because they were Muslim. If you, I mean, John, here, I'll, I'll send you this for a second, and I don't know if we can get this in time for this segment or not, but just if you can get the audio of when they're, of the sort of second one, here, I'm sending this to John as we're talking here. Uh, it's it's like they hired an actor from an adult film to play the police officer who's like, hey, why are you dressed like that? Hey, I am an officer of the law, and I view you as Muslims. And I, I mean, it's it's the most phony nonsense bs it's like so obviously fake when you watch it and that two million people watched it and it went viral so this guy creates hoax has a history already of creating hoax anti-muslim 
bigotry videos or videos, I should say, purporting to show anti-Muslim bigotry that go viral and then they're exposed as fakes. And he's doing and now we've got Delta. Do we really think that he just happened to be kicked off this flight because, you know, he was the one Muslim American that was I mean, no, there this is a level of it's not even we can't even pretend that this is not a complete and utter setup. Right. But these things are bothersome to me, not just because um, I don't like the, the the childishness of, you know, this creates this disturbance on the plane. The people are trying to, you know, the flight attendants or what do we call them? Yeah, not stewardesses, flight attendants. They're just trying to do their jobs, trying to get people. People want to go where they're going. They don't want to get held up. And, you know, they shouldn't have to be put through all this. And, you know, maybe this hurts Delta. Delta is a company. People buy flights from Delta or other places. Boycott Delta is trending. I mean, there are real consequences to this sort of thing. And we all know how this is going to turn out, right? When this is exposed as a hoax, this Sala fellow is going to say, oh, well, it was just sort of art and it was meant to raise awareness. And this is the way that the self-indulgent, self-righteous, progressive left loves to play the game now. They make stuff up. They lie. They create destruction. There are real consequences to their actions. But then they drape themselves in raising awareness. And that is some sort of an excuse for whatever behavior that they feel uh, they feel, you know, they're highlighting or whatever. I mean, it's just grotesque. And the left loves this stuff. You don't see this on the right. The left loves this. Another fake hoax uh, or fake folks. Fake hoax crime, or a fake hoax is the same thing, um, tells us a lot about how much bigotry there really is when they have to make it up, right? The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. to the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, we're joined now by Emily Zanotti. She is a political editor at Heat Street, and she is E.M. Zanotti on Twitter, and her last name is fun to say. What is up, Emily? <laughs> Not much. How about you? Well, you know, just getting ready for a little holiday action. Which for me means yeah. sleeping and eating too much and not doing work. So that's all these are all good things. Um exactly. probably, gonna, probably gonna come back a little a little cuddlier. Um so uh, let's talk for a second, if we can, about Adam Saleh. What can you tell me about this guy? So this guy is a YouTube prankster. He's not even really a great YouTube prankster. He tends to not actually prank anybody. He sets things up. And so today he's saying that he got booted off a Delta Airlines flight for speaking to his mom in Arabic on a cell phone. So like very, very quiet. He says he was speaking to his mom and then a bunch of passengers complained and he got booted off the flight. Well, it's most certainly a hoax. This guy is very well known for setting up his quote unquote pranks. He once tried to target the New York police department by saying that they beat him up because he was wearing Islamic clothing. Uh, turns out that he actually paid an actor to impersonate a New York police department Oh, oh wait, oh, wait, Emily, oh, wait, up. wait, hold, hold up, hold up. We got the clip of this actor who really shouldn't <laughs> quit his day job. Play it. <laughs> 
Why you always make trouble with me? No, no, I don't like it. Trying to do business right now. Wallah, you need to leave right now. You need to leave. We have to Wallah, I don't. What, what do you mean business? business? I don't like it. I don't like it. You know, leave. Okay. No, no, it's nothing. Me. Just, What's all the arguing about? Why I'm, you dress like this? What's what is this? I'm, I'm just talking. I'm just talking with him. <laughs> You're talking to me. Having a disturbance over here. No, no, I'm, I'm just I'm just talking with him. Nothing, nothing serious. Okay. Don't walk away from me. Yeah. I'm an officer yes. of the law. Okay. Why are you walking away when I'm talking to you? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just oh talking. my god, I love it. I I actually worked for the NYPD for over a year and. And, uh, and you would never have. <laughs> you never say. Don't walk away from me. Law. I am an officer of the law. Have you seen this badge that I have on my shirt? Like it is. Look and it, also, I love the. <laughs> I love the. Uh, what is this clothing you are wearing? Yeah, because that's what a cop would say. To you. <laughs> right. Certainly, he's just going to stop people on the street and be like, "He's the fashion police, actually, not the real NYPD." Yeah. And he wants he's like, to know that what the shirt is two is. sizes too big for oh. you, sir. It's crazy. Cool are so last season. What are you doing? <laughs> but right now, I mean, I asked you about the Adam Salah thing because you were talking about that video. Number two trending hashtag on Twitter is boycott Delta. Are, are people right. just all mm-hmm. idiots? They, they're really too stupid to know this video is fake, even without knowing the backstory. Right. And they look at this video and, and you can tell this video is not correct. And Delta is actually saying, you know, there was a disturbance on one of the these flights, two men were taken off, 20 passengers complain. So it's not like it's just somebody quietly speaking on a phone. 20 people said that there was a disturbance that made them feel uncomfortable and asked for this guy to be removed. And for some reason, people have just piled on to this. Like they think it's, it's, it's fitting a narrative that they believe about what's happening in the world now that Donald Trump is, is going to round everybody up and put them in camps or whatever. And so he's now... Uh, now been completely believed on Twitter. People are calling on Delta to, to uh, or calling on other people to boycott Delta. It's become this whole mess. And, and no, people really have very little idea that this guy is a history of internet pranks. They aren't even yeah, good. They're not even good pranks. They're not even well. Yeah, they're not even pulled off well. I mean, that, that, that actor, I mean, I would do a better job on the spot. Throw me in a police uniform, you know? Why are you wearing this? I am an officer of the law. It was hilarious. Yeah. I mean, but the, but this has consequences. I mean, people are saying boycott Delta. I don't look. This isn't mm-hmm. going to bring Delta down or something, but it might cost Delta some it will money. Cause problems. Yeah, it's yeah. going to cause problems. It's definitely going to cost them some money, and certainly Delta is sticking by their their assessment of the situation for better or for worse. They're saying, you know, we. We got complaints. This wasn't something where just one person said something stupid. It was 20 people on a plane saying, please get this guy off. He's scaring the crap out of us. So it it was a real situation from their perspective. And now they're going to be punished because people don't recognize that this guy's history is that he's even done this on other planes. Uh, He was counting backwards from 10 on a plane in Arabic and got booted off. And this is the the same thing he keeps doing. And it's most certainly fake, but there will be real-world consequences for this. (sighs) Social justice warriors, they're the worst. All right, let's get into some some other stuff. The Oppression Olympics Student of Color Conference at UC Irvine descends into chaos. What is going on here on (laughs) HeatStreet.com? So... So the University of California, Irvine Student Association decided that they would be super kind and have a meeting to discuss 
how to handle anti-blackness, so any kind of discrimination or bigotry that's happening against African Americans, which they thought was going to be perfect for their social justice warriors on campus, that it was going to be a love fest over Black Lives Matter, and everyone was going to come together and have this mass demonstration on campus at the end of the day. Well, they decided to invite all the social justice warriors, but it turns out that they don't all agree that black people are the most marginalized minority. <gasps> and so in a couple, a couple of their sessions, it almost came to blows over whether black people, Muslim Americans, Hispanics, women, there are certainly lots of people who are marginalized and oppressed in our society, and they could not agree on who was the most oppressed, and they ended up having to cancel, cancel the conference. Wow. I mean, personally, I blame white privilege. Oh, uh, undeniably. Probably yeah, toxic masculinity, too. Yeah. I mean, somebody probably just showed up and mansplained to all of them and ruined the whole conference and maybe even did some manspreading. Perhaps. Perhaps. There was definitely mansplaining. <laughs> There's definitely mansplaining. Manspreading is mostly a New York City subway thing. I don't know if you guys have to worry about that in Chicago, too, but it's a real thing here, you know. Where guys take up yeah, too much do. room on the like, subway because they manspread because they're trying to take up more space as sort of their alpha male dominance, you know, alt-right, yada, yada, whatever. Does New York City have the signs that tell you not to manspread into other places? Because we have that here. Do you actually have no manspreading signs? Yeah, there are little ads on the subway and they say, do not take up more than one seat. And it has... A picture of a man, man spreading. Uh, all yeah, actually, I, I think we do have. I think we do have no man spreading signs, which, you know, it's it's like this isn't even America anymore. All right, speaking of man spreading, <laughs> no, this is a terrible transition. Scratch that. <laughs> Hillary Clinton, <laughs> Hillary Clinton supporting Pantsuit Nation Facebook group gets lucrative book deal. What's this all about? Yeah, so Hillary Clinton had. Well, it was a grassroots group that sort of came up in October before Hillary Clinton lost the election. It's a group of women who all get together to share their stories on Facebook about how horrible America is for women. And it might be the most insufferable page on Facebook. It is just stories about all sorts of things. And they are, despite her loss, getting a book deal, a, a multi-thousand-dollar book deal uh, to tell their emotional stories about how they are coping in the wake of Hillary Clinton's loss. And it's, it's become sort of like this group therapy thing on Facebook. And so now they're going to give advice to other women across the country about how to go on, how to pick up the emotional pieces following Hillary Clinton's loss. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Pantsuit Nation does not sound like a place I would want to live. Uh, moving yeah. on, South Carolina thinks that it can ban pornography or at least charge you for it. This also on HeathStreet.com. Don't know the story. Please do tell. <laughs> so South Carolina's legislators uh, want to be able to ban people in South Carolina from accessing porn on, their, on the Internet. So somehow they're going to control the whole Internet. They still haven't figured out exactly how, but... Their law is going to impose a blocker on all computers that are sold within the state of South Carolina. And if you would like this blocker removed, you have to pay the state of South Carolina $20. And then they'll put your name on a list of people who like pornography. No way. And, no and way. 
then you can then you know the, the naughty list will maybe be sent to Santa. I don't know, but this really is a naughty list. list. Are they seriously going to keep a <laughs> registry of who of who wants to pay to be able to look at porn on their computers? Yes, who's going to be paying the twenty dollar fine? You'll have to fill out a form, pay the fine, and then they'll send somebody to take the blocker off your computer. Which, of course, every fourteen year old in the country will be able to get around within two minutes of it being installed. But um, yes, yeah, so they think that this is a great idea to cut down on pornography consumption in South Carolina. This is one of the this is one of the creepier government ideas like ever. I think uh, right. this is pretty bad. Right. I mean, it's just people who, you know, in their everyday, I guess you might want to surf over to that. I don't know. But um, but yeah, if you if you do, if you do want to do those sort of things and you're going to have to tell the state of South Carolina that you're a dirty, dirty human being. Wow. All right. Apparently uh, another piece. Heatstreet.com. Z and her. H I. How do you say her? How do you say this? H I R. Uh, third gender movement Zer? says growth is exploding. Her? Zer. Zer? We think it's zer. We're not wholly, wholly uh, solid on this, but we think it's zer. Well, what the, what the heck is this? I don't even know about this. I know, I've heard about the Z thing. Like you, can, you can go to college now and be like, I would like to be referred to as Z. And people yeah. with PhDs have to sort of bow before you being like, yes, Z. Doesn't Z sound like the leader of a sci-fi planet somewhere, right? Like It does. Like Neil General Z. Zod. Like yeah. <laughs> like, but but yeah, so there's this movement that's supposed to create a third gender, which is referred to as Zer there, um, on administrative documents. So if you go to get your birth certificate or a copy of your birth certificate or a marriage certificate. They want a third gender option besides male and female. They want to be able to check this box for people who do not conform to the binary notions of gender specificity. So basically, if you have this third option, uh, if you don't fit into either male or female, and there's possibly three people in the whole country who are enthusiastic about this, but they did win the right this year in 2016 to get that third option in California and Oregon, of course. And so they've called this the banner year for the third gender movement. I guess so. Uh, this, this is a thing now that the people are talking about. What can you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking yeah, exactly. of third gender movements and other stuff from the social justice left, LGBT activists on HeatStreet.com. This is a piece you can go read there on the culture war section, which I love on HeatStreet.com. Um, says it, it almost sounds now like this is a sponsored ad for you guys, Emily. So I'm going to need to like I'm going to scale it back a little bit. <laughs> I appreciate but, it. <laughs> yeah, you know, just just rocking it for my Heat Street peeps. Uh, says that well, gay rights movement that. has lost its way. Oh no, what happened here? Well, this is also from a old school LGBT activist, and he now says that we've started to add all these extra letters to LGBT. So now it's not just lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, that it's like androgynous and intersex. And now there's a little plus sign that no one can pronounce at the end. And all of these people have conflicting ideas about what gay rights really means. And so they've taken the LGBT rights movement off track and made it a social justice movement. And this guy, who has been a gay rights activist since the 60s or 70s, says we cannot be a social justice movement. We need, we need to focus on what really matters and stop being victims. And, of course, 
he was not uh, particularly well received by uh, the social justice warriors of the world. Yeah, I do think that social justice warriors, the SJWs, are kind of running out of they're kind of running out of issues. So they're really just conjuring up issues now. I mean, they're really operating on the fringes of the fringe. Yeah, and that's what he's trying to say is that now it's just all about how can I wake up in the morning and figure out how I'm a victim today? Who is victimizing me instead of I'm going to take action and fight for my rights and and be a paragon in my community? I'm going to worry about who's hurting me today and and whether, you know, somebody at a store is going to accidentally say the word he and I'm going to get triggered and have an emotional breakdown. And that's really ruining the gay rights movement. Uh, Emily, any fun stuff that you got planned for the holiday? Any any sort of interesting Zanati traditions that you guys you guys do? Uh, I think we're going to roll out the lasagna for Christmas Eve. Uh, but other than that, I think it's just going to be a pretty traditional Christmas. All right. Fair enough. We have to watch Die Hard. That's, well, of course, that's of course, you do it. Our tradition, best but. Christmas movie ever. <laughs> Fantastic. Exactly. All right, uh, Emily Zanotti is a political editor at Heat Street. Follow her, Em Zanotti, on Twitter. Emily, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you in 2017. Merry Christmas to you, team. We'll be right back. Lex Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Team, I know I told you all to expect this, but here it is. Um, another scathing review of an important Trump project from the people that do reviews. Washingtonian Magazine here says that Trump's, they gave a, quote, brutal hotel, the, uh, brutal review, rather, to Trump's new D.C. hotel. The uh, quote that's pulled from it is, this place is not for the true discerning luxury traveler. And they just go to town on it. I mean, they just say that it's, the hotel is is crap, basically. They say there are only three luxury hotels in the world that get worse rankings anywhere in the world. The Four Seasons in Oahu, Hawaii, which, how could that be so bad? Oahu's awesome. And the Palazzo Versace in Dubai. I'm sure that's a freaking mess. But, uh, yeah, so they rank this as one of the three worst hotels in the world. Because, as I've said to you, trashing Trump, for most people, is now a brand-enhancing experience. It's a means of elevating your own brand at the expense not just of Trump, but of now the government uh, executive branch chief of the United States government. So there's that. We'll talk about the media and perhaps a little year in review and some other stuff. Give me some calls, team. Be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to hour three in the Freedom Hut. I'm I've got vacationitis right now. I just I'm looking forward to a week off next week very much. I'm going to um, 
be kind of lazy, I think, and uh, probably eat too much and drink too much. Put on a few LBs. It's all right. I know how to, I'll shave them off in the new year. And uh, we're not. And uh, this hour, I was just thinking we could take some calls, talk about some stuff, maybe make her a diehard reference, come out to the coast, have a few laughs, you know, just general general Buck Saxon radio talk. Uh, because I just, no more, no new headlines today that are really exciting me. And so I'm open to anything right now. I got some things in mind. And uh, I wasn't planning on doing a sort of year in review, although Friday we'll have that uh, show that will be airing on the Blaze Radio uh, starting at noon. But for now, there was this great montage pulled together of what Grabian, which is a news like aggregator site, I guess. I don't really know Grabian. Uh, but the media's 10 most mortifying moments of 2016 is the uh, headline here on Grabian.com. And I wanted to work through this montage because here's the thing. I have I work in the media, but I didn't always. Uh, there are two kinds of people I find in media. There are those of us who sort of come into it from doing something else before. And then there are people who this is all they've ever wanted to do. And I think there are perspectives tend to be a bit different on many things. I sort of look around and I find media to be a business largely dominated by frauds. Um, and I think that it's... More so than many other businesses, it's not fair. Uh, it's not merit-based. It's And I know that nothing is totally fair. Nothing is totally, but media is worse than other things. I mean, the only, the only career track I can think of that might be even more arbitrary and seem like it's just completely uh, doggy, doggy, dog would be acting, which I've never done. But I, from what I've told from friends of mine who have tried to be actors and such, another really tough place to a tough place to make a living and it's not fair and all the rest of it, right? A lot of politics work, a lot of who, you know, and who knows, but I've, I've always had this view since I came into media of, well, most people in this business, especially journalists, big J journalists, uh, are, are dishonest. I don't know if they're just dishonest with the public or they're dishonest with themselves or both, but they're not who they are holding themselves out to be right. There's something about them that is inherently dishonest. Um, because they think they don't have an opinion, they don't have a bias. And this is all stuff that's been well talked about. And, you know, Bernie Goldberg wrote a book by, I think, is that right? Bernie Goldberg? Bernard Goldberg? Yeah. Bias about his time at CBS. And, I mean, I see this all over the place. And, you know, I know people in media. I knew people in media from when I was CIA and before then, even in private life, you know, just as an, as an everyday American, which I still am an everyday American, but you know what I mean, who... Could have really, I think, helped me or opened doors for me um, this year or the last few years uh, through with very minimal effort. But don't, and they don't because of my politics, even though they know me or they know my family. So it's a very, uh, very nasty game. That much is to be sure. Very, very gross, very unfair. With all that said, this past year, in the almost now, it'll be six years in June. So let's say five and a half years that I've been in media doing radio, TV, and, and writing, um, some combination of the three, was, was just the, I, I don't know if I could ever sort of regain any basic sense of respect for much of the media. I, it was just such a, a clown show. There was so much nonsense around trying to get Hillary Clinton elected and so much of the sort of the Trump hatred and, and just everything. It just felt like a year of... Uh, media freakout, like a media um, 
melee. There's some sort of almost anarchy that was breaking out where the usual trappings of of honesty and disinterestedness in the sense of people not pushing for their own interests or whatever instead of uninterested. Um, that stuff all sort of fell away. This is my way of saying I want to play for you this montage from Gravian and just stop and just, just have a little fun with the, as they put it, the 10 most mortifying moments of 2016. But, oh, media, you really, you really debased yourself this year. And let's get into it. Start it and we'll stop. Once you dust for fingerprints, it's pretty clear who ruined America. White people. Uh, people my age that they Wait, can we think stop for dis- one sec? So, you know, you start with Samantha B there, you know, making a joke about how white. I mean, this is now the joke that lazy, that lazy, cowardly comedians make, you know, just make fun of white people. This isn't this isn't amusing. I mean, it's not that white people can't take a joke. It's just not funny. It's a, it's a lazy joke for stupid people. Um, and anyway, and of course, people say, well, she's making it about herself. No, by making the joke about white people, the white people who do that are signaling that they're sort of elite and separate and better than the lumpen masses, the sort of lumpen proletariat of Trump voters that are out there. Uh, and Republicans in general, by the way, they haven't this whole thing about how the Republican Party is racist, white, male, bigoted, you know, NASCAR watching all, you know, hillbillies and all that. They've, they said that about Mitt Romney. I mean, they say this about everybody. So it's not like it's really changed. It's just with Trump, maybe gotten a little louder. So that's Samantha B for you. Not a fan. Um, I am not a fan. Uh, now let's go on to uh, some of the Hillary press conferences that happened. Go. Honest. And when he said that, I winced. And I was wondering, do you get your feelings hurt sometimes? What frustrates you the most about perceptions about you? A declared socialist. Wait, dramatic- stop. Stop. There's another one. That was Lesser Holt asking Hillary Clinton, do your feelings get hurt sometimes? Oh, do your feelings get hurt sometimes? Oh. Do you think that any journalist ever asked Donald Trump? I mean, a journalist, Lester Holt, this guy's a nightly news anchor making millions and millions and millions of dollars a year to show up and read off a prompter, basically, and read pre-prepared questions. By the way, Matt Lauer and all these guys, I see them. They're always sitting there with the questions that are already pre- already baked in beforehand. You know, the producer hands them a little sheet. Buck doesn't need no sheet of questions from producers. Please. Sit there and got the questions in my head. Roll with the conversation. But Buck doesn't have a national national TV platform with millions and millions of dollars attached to it yet. So maybe maybe I'm doing something wrong. Uh, but anyway, I thought that was kind of funny. Oh, you feel we hurt, Hillary? She's like, oh, my feel we get hurt. This makes her so sad. It really is. Uh, okay, now let's get into when Castro died, the way that some of the networks and some of the anchors covered this. This was awesomely bad go improved health care and literacy many saw positives education and health care for all racial integration you see the medicine system they are very proud of i'm quite certain that they're not celebrating his death in cuba as he brought health care even castro's critics praise his advances in health care and in education it's considered even to this to this day the George Washington of his country. Fidel continued to promote leftist movements in Latin America, where he remained popular until his death. He was a romantic figure when he came into power. We American young young high school kids and kids in those days rooted like mad for the guy. He will be remembered remembered fondly. You see donkey carts alongside uh, cars, trucks, and buses in downtown Havana because that's exactly what they'd rather have for transportation. Stop, stop, stop. Brian Williams isn't just a liar. He's actually kind of an idiot. 
And and I think a lot of people realize that they were sort of swindled or bamboozled because he sounds like a news anchor. He looks like a news anchor, but he's really not very smart. Yeah, they have donkey carts in downtown Havana because that's the way they would rather do it. They'd rather not have like new, efficient, clean, air-conditioned vehicles. They want cars from the 1950s that break down all the time and donkey carts because that's, quote, that's how they would rather do it. He also referred to the medicine system. I mean, usually you'd say medical system, but anyway. But the medicine system, you know, that in Cuba, I guess he doesn't know that, yeah, there's free health care, but the free health care system there sucks. And there's a different, entirely different system for apparatchik state officials, members of the Communist Party, Castro, his inner circle. They have, just like the Soviet Union, they have a better, it's still not great. I mean, you know, ask anyone this question. Okay, um, you have... Uh, you have skin cancer. Do you want to deal with this in the United States? Or you want to deal with this in Cuba? I think even people with no health care would say, uh, I'll take my chances in the U.S. Then, then go with the free Cuban version anyway. But yeah, that was the, the Cuba stuff was when the ignorance of the various news anchors was just mind boggling. Uh, and also stuff about racial integration. Um, interesting that they apparently don't know anything about racist policies that Castro instituted in Cuba and the way black Cubans are treated. But just, they don't know anything. I I don't think this is going to happen anymore. I do think that the current generation of leftist media talking heads and such, um, I I do think, and I said and such, and some of you get mad at me for that because it's a verbal tick and everyone has some verbal ticks. I try to get rid of all of mine, but when you speak for three hours at a time, sometimes they come out. Uh, the people that are my peers on the left tend to be, and I, I mean the ones who are good uh, and, and who have futures in the business and aren't just sort of flash in the pan, yelling, screaming idiots. Uh, they're at least educated from a leftist perspective, right? At least they have some, they're, they're, they are uh, fast firing synapses in the brain, right? They, they're pretty quick. The, Left anchor, the leftist anchors that I see on TV, especially places like MSNBC, but at other cable news networks too, are idiots. They don't know anything. And they have these lofty positions and people want to prop them up. And I always want to sit there and say, these people don't even, they don't even read books. They don't know anything about anything. They, they have no intellectual curiosity, nor any intellectual storehouse of knowledge, wisdom, anything. But they're promoted and put on TV and paid all this money. It just, it makes no sense. And people say, oh, it's what the market will bear. Well, not really. These are entrenched interests. These are legacy institutions. And they're run by small groups of people that decide what different people get paid. And yeah, and it's not really what the market will bear because it's not a fair system, right? I can't start a TV show. I have to go to a network to be on a TV, uh, to be on TV shows. Well, that costs a lot of money and there's... FCC regulations and there's licenses and there's all this other stuff and anyway and it's not just based on ratings as we know look at they gave that they gave a show to that guy Ronan Farrow do you ever watch that show I actually it was so, I was it was so bad and I hate this stuff too when they give these brats who have a famous last name in media any kind of a platform because of their last name it's really gross it's really gross because this is a hard business and people with something to offer and something to add into it are struggling. Look, it's it's tough to just make a living doing this. People write me all the time. They say, you know, how do I get into commentary? How can I do media? 
and I want to write them back. And I sometimes have a, some of you might have even gotten this message from me. Do you, you know, do you have, uh, do you have kids? Do you have a mortgage? If the answer to those two questions are yes, don't transition careers into media. If you're a single person and you can go, you know, without for a while and sort of just pull it all together somehow, maybe. But if you've got family members who depend on you and obligations, financial obligations, no, 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 no. This is not a career path you want to try. But it's with that, it's with that background that I look and I see some, you know, it's like when Chelsea Clinton gets paid $650,000 to do 20 minutes of work for NBC News. That's what the market will bear? Well, I guess it's what the market will bear for buying off the Clintons, but it's not like it's based on her, you know, on her on-air capabilities. She was horrible. She was absolutely, I remember watching her and thinking, this is somebody who should never be on TV, not even like an interview context. She's just terrible. Uh, and Ronan Farrow, given the job because he had like worked in the State Department as an intern or something. I don't know. Um, and and his dad maybe was uh, supposed to be, what was it, Frank Sinatra or something, right? And Mia Farrow was his mom. I don't even know the story. Uh, and his name was Satchel, and then he changed it to Ronan. Anyway, I don't know the kid, never met him. Maybe he's a nice guy, no idea. No one knows who he is. They give him a TV show at MSNBC. It's so bad that I feel bad for him when it's on. That's really saying something. Usually it's bad and then it's amusing. So you're like, wow, this this stinks. Like that guy, Jenk uh, Uger. I mean, I think it's bad, but it's you know he's sort of just such a a, a loudmouth jerk that it's entertaining. You know, and it's, reminds you know sometimes Alex Jones stuff can be really entertaining. I mean, he's out of his mind, but he sometimes it can be funny um, that he, that he thinks that I'm like part of the I'm, I, you know I wish I'm part of some CIA conspiracy. That would be great. Uh, CIA is long gone, long in my rearview mirror. But anyway, uh, I, I just find it, uh, find it astonishing. Yeah, Ronan Farrow's show on MSNBC, which they had to pull. It was so bad that when it would go on TV, I would, I, I actually was like, somebody should do him a favor and they should just like fade to black and, and just never do this again. That's how bad it was, which is tough to have a sort of news and interview show that's that horrific, but that's where it was. And they did, of course, cancel it after like six months or something. Um, so, oh wait, I want to get back into the worst of media this year, though. This is fun. I'm enjoying this. I know it's not really in the Christmas spirit, is it, Buck? I'll, I'll we'll talk about some nice stuff on the other in the other half of this hour. We're I'm a little bit of a Krampus mode right now. Those of you who know the Krampus is the devil-like figure that punishes, or demon-like figure that punishes people for being naughty at Christmas time. Uh, so we'll, we'll, I'll be Santa Claus in the second half. I'm the Krampus in the first half. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. Jim in Minnesota, you are on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, how you doing, Buck? Merry Christmas, by the way. What's up? I said Merry Christmas, by the way. Oh, Merry Christmas, sir. Yep, yep. But uh, anyway, I was uh, calling in as far as I appreciated the, uh, uh, as far as Attaboy or Bravo Zulu in the Navy, we call it, uh, as far as for the guys that are, you know, say, standing on the front lines, you know, our policemen and, you know, our, you know, as far as our deployed you know, special forces and stuff like that, as far as that, uh, you know, they're on the, you know, they're not enjoying their holidays. They're, you know, on duty. And, 
you know, being in the Navy myself, I've spent a couple Christmases away from my family, and uh, but uh, like I said it's part of the you know part of the job, part of the you know sacrifice that uh, we do when we uh, as far as you know sign on the dotted line and make that oath. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why I wanted to take some time today and uh, speak to that. Um, we thank all of them for their service. Jim, we thank you for your service. Uh, Merry Christmas up in Minnesota. Stay warm. I know it's a little cold up there. And, oh, yeah. Uh, all We're the best. We're in the 40s to today, so I'm happy. <laughs> oh, okay. There, yeah, in the 40s in Minnesota, it's like bikini weather, so enjoy. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Shorts. <laughs> all right, man. Talk to you soon. I feel like that was a microaggression. I should have said, like, board shorts weather, but, you know, you know whatever. The mind goes where it goes. Um, 888-900-3393, by the way, if you would like to call in, um, would very much like to hear from some of you. We've got today, we got tomorrow, and then we're on vacation Friday and then all next week, team. Although, uh, do keep in mind, I'm in for Mr. Rush Limbaugh on radio. I'll be down in Florida, but I'll be in for him on radio on the 30th. So, that will be a whole lot of fun, my friends. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, 888-900-3393 on those phones. Let's go back to these. I'm having fun with this sort of media stuff. Uh, let's do... Oh, yeah, Andrea Mitchell. This is, uh, Press play. Voracious reader, very, very smart. He would be a, a figure that you'd look up to fast. and say, God, this guy's great. It's been extraordinary. Here's I've got to tell you, Rachel. First of all, she did not mention... The email controversy. This armory is filled. The the overflow room is filled. They've opened up the doors to the ballroom. There are a lot of people here. James Taylor played for 45 minutes. It was extraordinary. This has been a sort of magical night. Some of the dark and satanic tones that uh, that Cruz has. Well, if actually, if you go to a speech from his dad, it, who's a pastor, evangelical, Rafael Cruz, it actually is satanic. <laughs> There's a lot of domestic terrorists we classify that, that do that. They're rooted in uh, white hate movements. And so it could be that. But ISIS would do this to 100 million Americans if they could. But so Stress would white nationalists. We're Wait, not stop, getting to the stop, court. Stop, stop, I, I, I let way too much go. We might have to go back to some of these. That was in reference to the Pulse nightclub shooting. Uh, I think you have... Um, Dennis, I think it's Dennis Prager there saying that, uh, or is it? No, it's not Dennis Prager. It's the, it's the guy who looks like Dennis Prager at the radio show. Who, you know what I'm talking about, uh, John? Who, who's that guy? Uh, you know, uh, he's got like white hair and I cannot remember his name. And I feel he's on Salem. Anybody? Bueller? I know. I know. His, I'm just blanking his name. I know his name. I'm not pretending. Not, I just. All right. Well, anyway, they're talking about the Pulse nightclub shooting. And a conservative says ISIS would do this to 100 million people in this country if they could. And then you get an MSNBC commentator who says, so would white nationalists. Um, no. And it's an idiotic statement out of nowhere. Uh, back in a few. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Uh, we've got a call from Robert in New Jersey. What's up, Robert? Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's up? Not bad. Uh, at, uh, Merry Christmas, of course, and Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas to uh, Merry Christmas to our uh, armed forces, uh, our warriors overseas. Um, 
I also wanted to, uh, you know, uh, kind of comment about that last clip that I heard um, with regard to the liberal media and basically coming to the aid of ISIS, <laughs> saying that, you know, white nationalists would do the same thing as ISIS, which is ridiculous, first of all. But second of all, it's, it's really funny how the left will come to the aid of a terrorist organization just because they're on the same political side. I just find it's like, it's furious. It's actually quite infuriating. White nationalists don't, you know, don't run countries. White nationalists aren't uh, engaged in, I mean, the the white nationalist is now the sort of the great boogeyman of of the left, right? (laughs) This is what we've seen happen, that you would even put, that anybody would put this on the same plane as the scale of the threat from, uh, from jihadist Islam, uh, I just don't, or just jihadist because they're all part of Islam. Uh, but this is just insanity. But this passes for, uh, I don't know, this passes for eloquence. This passes for sage thinking on the left. And it's just mind boggling to me how, how stupid these people are, are willing to sound on these issues. And, and also, I, I love that there are some people who are just allowed to spout off on anything without any credential and one of the experiences i've always had at cnn is i always have to respect the opinions of people that know nothing don't have my level of experience specifically on issues of terrorism and jihadism and and i have to be respectful of their of them in the conversation even though in reality i could be like you you don't know anything including some of the people they put up there as national security experts but then when I get put up there, you know, it's, you know, who, you know, who are you and you're endangering people overseas and all this crazy crap. It turns into a conversation about me, which I always find uh, very annoying. So there you go. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty scary because, I mean, even people who are somewhat intellectual, like I'm in, I'm in the forensics field. And basically, like, you know, every, like I'm still studying, like I'm, I'm almost on my Ph, but um, you should hear some of the conversations. <laughs> With regard to, like, the, the, first, the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, and, uh, you know, the NSA, and, uh, you know, all, all of their efforts uh, to this point uh, with regard to intercepting, uh, you know, media. And uh, it's, just, it's just hilarious. You know, they, they really, they really, they don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. They feel that Bush, and I, I'm not a Bush fan. I'm pretty sure you're not either. I mean, you probably respected him like I did, but. I think he did a lot of questionable things as well. Yeah, he was well-intentioned. Um, he was okay. I give him like a... Yeah. Outside of the war on terror, uh, I give him like a B, B minus. Yeah, he was naive, I, I would think, which is, which is weird. I think, you know, one thing about nationalists, I think, and I don't, I, I don't want to... I hate drawing these uh, broad brushes, or these broad strokes, but I think nationalists, a lot of them, especially like the billionaire types, they will throw America under the table if they're doing business with a foreign entity that America happens to be, uh, you know, out of favor with, you know, like with Rex. Well, I'm kind of missing this. You're saying national. We're not, we're not talking about white nationalists anymore. You're just talking about nationalists no. in general. Yeah, nationalists, period. Yeah. I, and I and what do you think they do? Thing. I'm not a liberal. Well, I, I think that it's possible. Like, for instance, the Bushes and the Saudis, you know, they get along very well. And it kind of makes me a little bit uneasy um, because, you know, they do business as, as, together as well. Um, so I feel that because of that relationship that they may have behind closed doors, maybe they're friends. I don't know. But I feel that that compromises uh, our stance politically as well as militarily sometimes. Hmm. Um, and so I, I feel that, like, you know, Rex Tillerson or whatever this guy is, and Russia could have a similar situation going on. 
And uh, yeah, a lot of people are I'm saying a, that. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I buy that, but uh, we'll okay. see what comes out in the hearings. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't understand. It's like it's like I used to work for the CIA, and when I was in the CIA, I you know would not have. I would not have done anything to undermine or or sort of help with the public critique of the agency. Now I'm out and I'm a citizen and I'm just a private citizen. And like, yeah, I'll tell you when the agency screws up and gets things wrong and, you know, that it's Mm -hmm. imperfect and everything else. I mean, I just feel like, you know, you're working for a private corporation. Of course, you're trying to get the best deals you can for your company when working in foreign countries. I don't think I, I would I would like to think that you could also be a patriot who went in a position of representing the American people you have a different set of interests. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Rex Tillerson is not looking to, you know, pad the retirement account. And the guy's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't see this as, as much of an issue. I mean, if it's just about fondness and familiarity with Putin, do people really think he's going to sell out the American people and their interests because he, you know, has, has a relationship with Putin? And by the way, how close they really are, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure some of that's exaggerated in the media, and I'm also sure that some at some level it was a business relationship and they were just trying to sort of put on a, a smiley face and be polite to each other. Do you know what I mean? I, you know, I, I'm not sure well, that I, Tillerson I and, and Putin are like hugging it out and going, you know, going for snuggle sessions all the time. No, no, I, feel, I totally feel what you're saying, but uh, I was reading about him a little bit. And, you know, correct me at any time, of course. Uh, you obviously yeah, Correct me at any time. Go ahead. But um, I, I was reading about him a little bit, and I, uh, I read that uh, basically – uh, he switched from like gas to uh, to shale due to environmental purposes. Like he wanted to reduce imprints, and so I feel that he's not only. You know, I think he's, I feel that he's also ideologically somewhat similar. If you look at like you know all the cases like the, the Planned Parenthood thing and uh, you know and um, abortion. The, the, you know what uh, what else was it? But there's Planned Parenthood. I don't know. And, I don't know. I think we're, start, we're starting to lose the threat a little bit here with with Rex Tillerson. So, okay, yeah, I don't I don't mean to come out against Trump. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like I no, said, come I totally out against Trump if you want. I'm just trying to get us to a conclusion here because we got to move to uh, the the next segments here. So, Robert in New Jersey, okay. Merry Christmas, man. Thank you for calling in. I Merry appreciate Christmas, it. Man. Stay hard. Shields, Shields high. Absolutely. Uh, good to talk to you. Um, so uh, where were we? Oh yeah, media stuff. Bad moments in media. Play it. An extraordinary sit-in on the House floor stretches into the early morning hours. Make no mistake. Wait, stop, stop, stop. So that was, do you remember that? Over the gun issue, they wanted to, I think, I think, was it after the Pulse nightclub massacre? They wanted to to take some action on guns. And so members of the House of Representatives did a sit-in after hours in the House of Representatives. And they were putting it on Periscope. I mean, they acted out the way that we've come to expect social justice warriors on campus to act, which is just sort of live stream your own little self-righteous temper tantrum. That's what they did. This is elected members of Congress. And the media was covering this. And at first there was a sort of, I was actually at CNN when this happened. I was supposed to talk about, I don't know, something probably, hey, Buck, Trump said this racist thing, defend it, right? That's, that was, that was fun. Uh, But they, it wasn't even necessarily racist, right? But that's how they would frame it. And now it's like, oh, you're going to defend the racist comment? I'm like, well, I don't know if it's racist. (gasps) Only a racist would think that comment's not racist. So uh, they, they had this whole thing of the sit-in in the, in the house and, People were, and they were in the newsroom and everything. They were like, "Oh, this is great! You know, this is so wonderful. Look at them doing this. Uh, this is getting attention for this issue." And it was just to take action on guns, and they don't even really know what the actions were they were supposed to take. It's just all nonsense. But 
the first reaction of many in the journalism community was that this is great. This is great. Pfft, whatever. All right, next uh, next in the media, lowlights, go. It was dramatic, like nothing we have ever seen before. Truly one of the most dramatic demonstrations on the House See, floor in modern American it. history. Were you surprised at how large this got? I mean, Kim Kardashian was tweeting about it. Watching John Lewis, a man, uh, you know, who marched with Dr. King. Now you see him literally sitting with your colleagues on the floor. Uh, what does that image say to you? Trump is headed for a historic defeat. The larger the defeat, in a sense, the healthier it will be for the Republican Party, at least if it doesn't bring exactly. Paul Ryan's speakership down with him. It might be a wake-up call to those Republicans who have existed in this little thought bubble of their own that this isn't a winning form of politics. You know, we, we could be talking landslide. Hillary Clinton today is more likely to win in a landslide that would not only have an impact on this race, but realign the country. That would translate to an electoral majority and probably a landslide for Hillary. This could be tight or it could be a landslide for Hillary. Most analysts are saying that Hillary Clinton's going to win in a landslide. If that spreads among women voters all across the country, he's going to lose by a landslide and, and they could lose the Senate and the House. So the technical term for that, if she's anywhere near your prediction, would be blowout. I'd give a landslide. I don't know. I would, a landslide. Say, I would say a landslide. <laughs> a landslide, everybody. That's what the media was predicting. A landslide, a blowout annihilation of Trump by Hillary Clinton. That's what they were saying. That's what was supposed to happen here. And who could have thought? Nope. Not a landslide. Not a blowout. Definitely not what happened. And so we are left to sit here and think to ourselves, is the media chastened at all by getting it so very, very, very wrong? No, of course not. They just sort of double down on all the same stuff in the past. Are we going to be looking at a different kind of media coverage of Trump or anything right-wing or Republican in 2017? No. It's going to be fascinating to watch the shift here because they've been largely in the cheerleader mode and... Now they're going to have to be in attack mode. They've been on defense for the administration, and now they're going to be on offense, going after the administration. And it's uh, it remains to be seen. There's a part of me that, that thinks that well, Trump was able to sort of weather the storm of withering media criticism for so long during the primary and the general election that there's no amount of media hatred that could really bring him down or that could bring down the administration or even slow it down. But... Yeah, they've got a, you know, what is it? Never pick a fight with somebody who buys ink by the barrel. In this case, who, you know, has websites with lots of clicks. Uh, the media is going to really make a go of it, I think. They're going to try to uh, just completely hobble the Trump administration before it even gets going. And there's just this part of me that wants to stop and walk around and, and walk into the newsrooms of all these places. Although they'd be like, who's who's this kid with the side part? Although, am I a kid anymore? I'm almost 35. Kind of old now. For me, old. I mean, that's not actually old for the real world, I know, but... My neck hurts, you know, my back hurts. Things hurt now. I used to be kind of indestructible, and now I'm just destructible all the time. Uh, But I want to walk around to the newsrooms of some of these places and say, you guys realize that there's some things that Trump might do that could actually just be good for America. And I know that that sounds so naive and cheesy to you and, and, and sounds like blasphemy. Sounds like utter nonsense. But, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe. Lowering the corporate tax rate a little bit would be really good for American businesses. Could, could we just give it a shot? Could we just try? You know, just give, a little, give them that. Why don't we do that? 
See how it goes. There are a few other areas where you'd think that they just try this and see how things uh, play out. You know, that's one area. I mean, the tax code is the one area that comes to mind. There are others as well. You'd think that they could just give a tiny bit of leeway to just see what he does. I'm waiting. I want to see what he does. This show in six months, I may be like, guys, Trump, I don't know what we're going to do, man. This is crazy. This guy's messing up everything. I don't think that's going to happen, but it could. But at least wait until the guy starts to make some actual decisions as president, you would think. But, yeah, I know. We've all been sort of bathing in the tears of the media post-Hillary post loss, and they aren't going to forget that anytime soon either. I do think there's a, quite a bit of rage that has built up in the media establishment about all of this. So we will have to see. We'll have to see. Well, let's talk about some Christmas stuff on the other side. Uh, Team Buck, I'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. team we've got a minute or two here and then we got the show tomorrow and then christmas break uh christmas and uh buck birthday on the 28th Woo-hoo! and then new year's and then 2017 i think uh i think the freedom mud is going to have a fantastic a really phenomenal 2017 a lot of growth a lot of new team buck members joining that's what i'm that's what i'm wishing for for christmas and anything you can do to help in that that's all I want for my 35th birthday is for you to get one new Team Buck listener in 2017. One of your friends, one associate, one person you know, one colleague, one family member. One, each one of you listening, 2017. That's what I ask. It's all I want for Christmas. It's all I want for my birthday. And with that, team, I want to read to you this quote from uh, A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens. There are many things from which I might have derived good by which I have not profited, I dare say, returned the nephew, Christmas among the rest, but I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time when it has come around, apart from the veneration due to its sacred name and origin, if anything belonging to it can be apart from that, as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time, the only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. That's from a Christmas carol. And then there's also this quick one here. Um, uh, there is... Wait, I lost my quote. That makes me so sad. Where did it go? I can't. I literally just deleted it as I was about to read it to you guys, and now I'm realizing that it disappeared on me. Oh, yes. While there is infection and disease and sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. My friends, go spread that over this holiday season, over Christmas and over uh, New Year's. Laughter and good humor and uh, hugs and lots of good food and take some naps while you can all right we're gonna have a very busy 2017 i will be live in the freedom hut tomorrow so this is not goodbye for 2016 don't worry about that 
Back with you tomorrow, our last show of the year. Looking forward to it. Until then, my friends, my family, Shields High. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.